Welcome to episode 19 of the Pogue McGoal podcast. Oh, it's a beautiful goal, isn't it? A beautiful goal. What a day! Messi, Messi enganchó como le gusta el probo con zurda. Morda again, another time, the shot on the bottom end! Oh, what a goal! What a goal that is! What a goal from David Beckham! Oh, Zinedine, oh, Zinedine, a passa! I'm James Crew, co-editor of Pogmagol, and you're listening to the 19th installment of our series looking at football culture from Ireland and across the globe. And right now our brand new issue 7 is available to order worldwide at pogmagol.com or in Easton's and Tuttle's outlets around Ireland. It's bigger and better than ever with 76 pages of football goodness from Irish and international writers, illustrators and photographers. As a flavour of what to expect, you can read about the only man to manage five teams at consecutive World Cups, an unsung legend of the Irish women's game, the football boot collectors making big money trading in nostalgia, and one of the world's most famous artists and the painting that saved the club. On today's episode, we're talking to Conal Megan, host of the Barstoolers podcast. He's a Dundalk FC fan and author of the feature article from Issue 7, Soviet Leaders, which we'll be delving into shortly. But first, I'm delighted to be joined once again by my co-host Taylor Gill, a communications manager based in London, who since we last spoke has welcomed Portsmouth FC's newest fan into the world. Welcome back, Taylor, and congratulations. Thanks so much, mate. I didn't expect uh, little Alfie to get a mention, but yeah, thank you very much. Six and a half weeks old now, so I've slept about six and a half hours in total since. (laughs) Alfie Gill is a great name. He sounds like some kind of like inside right from the interwar years or something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. It's old school, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it's great. So Taylor, as is traditional at this time of year, it's worth taking a look back at the last 12 months. In the UK in particular, it saw the return of fans to stadiums, although as we saw with Bayern Munich's empty stadium midweek, we've not yet emerged from the COVID-19 pandemic. We also had a Euros in which England reached the final. But what has been your standout footballing moment of 2021? Um, it's a difficult one because like the last two years feel like the same year, so I kept kind of <laughs> thinking of things and then realising, oh, that was 2020. But I think the standout football moment for me this year, which is probably not going to go down that well on an Irish football podcast, but it's Luke Shaw's goal in the Euro 2020 final. Um, I know we went on to lose, obviously, but it's the first time in probably about 10 years I've celebrated an England goal with my dad. <laughs> and yeah. so I uh, I nearly shredded my vocal cords in that moment. It was so um, it was so good. But yeah, that that is the standout moment for me. I'd say. Have, you, have um, you got one? Well, obviously it's bringing out issue seven of the magazine, but I, I have been thinking about it. Mine's a bit left field and it's actually the Portugal-Ireland game, the away game, because I was watching it with a friend of mine in a pub in London and the two of us were there, both in Ireland shirts. The The pub was empty, apart from two other Irish fans in the back. It's a famous pub in Clapham which has since gone to the dogs, by the way. I won't mention their name. And there were some people in the front, English people. 
But as the game went on, we were getting more and more vocal. Ireland played brilliantly that night. If you remember, we went 1-0 up. Portugal got a penalty, so this was going to be Ronaldo was going to take the international goal-scoring record. And the, the, the penalty was saved by Ireland's teenage goalkeeper, Gavin Bazunu. Portsmouth's teenage goalkeeper. Portsmouth's teenage <laughs> goalkeeper. And so... It just the peop the more we got into the game, the people from the front of the bar started to come back to us, and by the end of it, there was like, well, like more people all rooting for Ireland, and of course we ended up losing two one to two Ronaldo goals, but it kind of felt like the Stephen Kenny era had arrived, and we'll go on to talk to Connell about that, but it felt like here was a moment where. We played brilliantly against a kind of a world footballing power and really should have won, save for kind of some referee shenanigans. So that was kind of, it was the fact that we were kind of, we looked like two kind of hardcore losers in our Irish shirt. But by the end of the night, everyone was kind of like, yeah, we could see why they were excited about this. (laughs) We just couldn't hang on for the win. That's nice that uh, kind of two residents of, islands in the north sea have both picked highlights where we lost <laughs> i think that says something about the psyche doesn't it moral we're the moral victories world champions by the way <laughs> and so we're thrilled to be joined by today's guest who's connell megan who hosts one of my favorite podcasts in the bar stoolers which looks at the premier league and beyond and has since spawned a league of ireland version so welcome to the pogma gold podcast connell yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely delighted to be on. Colin, I'll ask you the same question. What's your footballing memory of the last 12 months? Well, it's interesting that you said the Ireland away game there in Faro, because at the yeah. time I was actually in Portugal. It was about two weeks before me and a friend, uh, other, also co-host of the Barstool's podcast, Ronan, we booked a sort of last minute sort of impromptu trip to Portugal. We were going to Lisbon. And I remember thinking, you know, our Benfica playing, our Porto playing, we'll get to a game. I'm realising it was during an international break and thinking, right, Ireland in Portugal's group. So I looked at what Portugal's (laughs) fixtures were, realised that Ireland were playing in Portugal and it was automatically just over the moon. It's like, oh, class, we're going to get to this game. And then looking up where it was and it was in Faro. So I was quite disappointed, the absolute opposite end of Portugal. Um, But yeah, we decided we'd go out anyway. We packed our Ireland jerseys and... Thought we were just going to have a quiet enough evening watching Ireland, but you kind of forget how much Ireland fans will use an excuse to uh, a just go out to the pub, and second of all, how many Irish people you'll find in any given place in the world. So we ended up in this Irish bar watching the game and just having a fantastic night, shoehorning Gary Breen into whatever song that the band were playing. Um, so that night actually would be up there for me, but just to be a little bit different, I have to give a different answer. Um, I'd have to say probably the takeover of Dundalk, who I'm sure we'll discuss at one stage because it's been an absolute miserable year. 2020 was mixed, ended up qualifying for the Europa League, of course, but the seeds were planted from the bizarre American owners. And then 2021 was nothing short of an absolute disaster on the pitch. So to see the club be sold to given back to the local community um, and with potential for some investment there as well, of course, because Stat Sports are involved with the takeover and 
that they provide GPS tracking vests for most teams in the world. So they're worth quite a bit of money as well. Uh, but also with that local interest, it uh, was just a massive, massive relief. And just looking forward to next season now. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting Taylor's take on this and we'll get you to maybe give the background of that as we go on. But I mean, circus doesn't quite do it justice, but it's just a bizarre footballing story, which we'll get into shortly. But before we do, as we do with all our guests, we like to ask what first got them interested in football? Yeah, um, I suppose just it's one of those things when you're growing up in Ireland, really, I I obviously I'm from Dundalk and it's probably one of few towns in Ireland that is more of a footballing town rather than a GEA town. You'd probably have Dundalk, Drogheda as well, to be fair, Louth in general, and maybe you'd say Sligo as well. They're probably yeah. comparatively a lot better at football than they are at any of the GEA sports. So, yeah, just you know, growing up in school and my brother Phil, my big brother Phil, he's a, a massive football fan as well. And he actually used to own a DVD rental shop here in the village that I live in. So a lot of the time he would just have to look after me. So I'd just be in there with absolutely nothing to do. And I knew he liked football. So one day I was like, Phil, can I have a, you know some money to go and buy a football magazine? And I'd never shown any interest at that stage. So he was more than happy to get his little brother into football. So I ended up buying two different football magazines, Match of the Day and Match. Uh, and just, uh, yeah, just kind of falling in love from there. And... Yeah, and then, and then not too long after that, we, we went to Old Trafford, and I just remember getting there. I was actually really sick as well. I probably shouldn't have went, but I was looking forward to the trip that much, and just getting, you know, we are in the, in the you know, rosette, essentially, and just looking down and just thinking, that's, it's beautiful, yeah. you know, and that's just beautiful for an eight-year-old. Well, you're typical of Irish kids in that we look to the Premier League, and you're a big Man United fan, but also, as we said, you're a big Dundalk fan. Which is why the Barstoolers podcast, for Taylor's education and other, other non-Irish listeners, how would you define where we get the name Barstoolers? Yeah, well, you know, sometimes it can come from a, maybe sometimes League of Ireland fans, some might have a superiority complex in that they follow their local teams and not everybody does. But look, there's a massive following for uh, the English Premier League in Ireland. And last year, we were exclusively a Premier League podcast. And going into it as a Premier League podcast from Irish people, we just wanted to have some sort of uh, self-awareness. So we described ourselves as the Barstoolers and what some League of Ireland fans might level at Premier League fans uh, for not supporting their local team. Yeah, but ironically, you do support your local team. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> we just, not, not all of us at the time, there was yeah. half of us that did, yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's nice to uh, offset any potential criticism in the name of your podcast. Exactly. Yeah, just acknowledge <laughs> it first and foremost. Yeah. Carl, I really enjoy your podcast. I take it you're kind of a, a bunch. Are you friends from home or from college? Yeah, yeah. Three lads from Dundalk, yeah. You have great fun on it. You have great knowledge on the Premier League, different players. You delve into kind of the last week's matches. You've, you've got your own clubs. You have a couple of Man United fans, a couple of Liverpool fans. Uh, you just have great fun on it and you have possibly my favourite insult or I've ever come across on a <laughs> on a football podcast is to call someone he's a terrorist on the football pitch which when you say it when a Dundalk accent is even better <laughs> it's usually levelled at the likes of Jose Mourinho just for how he plays football and stuff so so yeah <laughs> that's just kind of slipped into our vocabulary and you've since 
kicked off a League of Ireland version and you're looking at kind of football beyond the Premier League as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, basically, me and Ronan, two, two-thirds of the podcast, are massive Dundalk fans, massive League of Ireland fans. And if possible, I would, you know, launch a League of Ireland show every single week because that's what needs it. That's what needs the coverage, not the Premier League or the Champions League or whatever. But there's simply not enough time in the world. So essentially, we're going to launch a, well, we already have launched the first episode of the League of Ireland show, which hopefully we'll be doing again from next season, once the League of Ireland begins again. Uh, and we're going to be doing things like season previews, cup final previews, in around the European time of the year. If there's a big top of the table clash, we might do an episode. But essentially, we want to do some League of Ireland content. The time isn't there to do it every single week. So we're going to try to do it as much as we can, essentially. Coddle, I've got a couple of questions on the, on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is about um, the kind of com- the competition in the space um, of podcasting about the League of Ireland. Um, and the second is about um, what prompted the shift from, you know, Premier League only to, you know, diversifying into League of Ireland stuff. Well, I kind of touched upon it there. It's like the League of Ireland needs it, you know, and... Um, I will pretty much consume any sort of League of Ireland content there is because there ultimately isn't that much of it. The people who do it do a fantastic job and we all kind of support each other. There's a few different podcasts, whether it be LOI Central or Between the Stripes. It was kind of a running joke between Dundalk fans this year about, you know, at, at the moment we have more podcasts and players signed up for next season. Um, but <laughs> but to be honest, it's great to see that. Um, and... And yeah, we wanted to, we started with the Premier League last year because we wanted to go with a certain niche. We didn't want to make it too general, but we realised that not only is that kind of limiting, but it's also, you're not really putting yourself into that much of a niche, really, in just talking about the Premier League. So talking about things that even happen in Europe, uh, you know, for example, we talked about Dirk Klassiker in the next, in the last episode there. You know, it's, it adds a little bit, of something else, because if you go on, I don't want to, you know, criticise certain people here, but, you know, on off the ball, they generally will talk about the Premier League. They do talk about the League of Ireland, to be fair, but you wouldn't exactly hear much about, we'll say, La Liga. Um, so we, tr- we try to talk about that as much as we can. We're not exactly La Liga experts, but we try to make it accessible. I just like the atmosphere you guys have. You're, you're having good crack and good fun on it and it's a that comes across and you're knowledgeable so that's really what you want in a pod isn't it yeah exactly look look again as i said we're not exactly football experts you know if it's pep guardiola level of tactical analysis you're not going to get that on our podcast You, you just won't and also i feel like the constant analysis of usually the premier league um the constant analysis weekend on weekend it's just monotonous and just not necessary. It's like, oh, what does this result mean for Manchester United? Probably not that much. It's, it's one game of 38. So it doesn't always have to be that serious. And we just try to look at the funnier side as well, because that's kind of our selling point. If you're familiar with Football Clichés, the podcast by Adam Hurry with The Athletic, he does a fantastic job at just completely taking the piss out of football and basically pointing out that nothing is that serious. And... We, we try to do that as as well because the constant, as I said, public discourse around certain events, it's like, it's just goes really, really tiresome, in my opinion. So it's just good to have a bit of a laugh, really. 
Yeah. And I find with like mainstream media coverage of, or even niche media coverage of the Premier League, it's so difficult to find anything original because everything is said. Every possible thought that you can think and sentence you can utter is said somewhere. And so finding new content is so difficult. Like I listen to a few podcasts where they talk about the Premier League and it's very often like the same analysis back to back. Mm-hmm. You get a lot of ex-footballers and some of them are like from decades ago. But the game has changed a lot, even in the last 10 years, say. And I feel like someone like even Stephen Kenny is a kind of a new brand of coach. And I don't know if these guys like Michael Owen or these kind of John Giles, for example. Of course, we love Johnny Giles, but Johnny Giles always goes on about football in the 50s and 60s, which has, just has no relevance to what we see today, really. But some, someone who's got a Dundalk connection is Vinnie Perth. So he took over from Stephen Kenny when Kenny moved on. I'll let Connell talk about the ins and outs. He left with the takeover and he returned. His level of analysis is really different to what you hear elsewhere. It's it's really in-depth as someone who understands the modern game and tactics of the modern game and how you deal with players and their mentality. And I think maybe that's actually something that's missing in a lot of the punditry we see, on, especially around the Premier League. Yeah, exactly. Like Vinnie Perth, he's somewhat of a football hipster to, you know, to the point where I think someone asked him about who he supported when he grew up. And he said, I I didn't really support anybody. I kind of followed Real Madrid, uh, which is obviously not that typical of someone who would have grown up through. So I've got to grow up since uh, sort of 70s and 80s, I suppose. Um, So, yeah. So, yeah, he is very much uh, he's a breath of fresh air, really, in that space and very hard done by to be basically removed by Dundalk twice now at this stage. So let's get into the Dundalk story. For Taylor and people who wouldn't be familiar, when I was growing up watching League of Ireland football, Dundalk has a very rich history in League of Ireland football, winning titles. But when I was going, like, watching Kilkenny City, like, Dundalk were operating at that level. At times, like, Kilkenny were finishing above the table in the first division with Dundalk. And suddenly this... Stephen Kenny comes from, you know, Longford Town, a, an array of different League of Ireland clubs, and he arrives in Dundalk. It's not that big a place, and yet this man arrives and turns them into consistently Ireland's best team, knocking on the doors of the Champions League, and then takes them into the Europa League and gets results. Tell us what that was like growing up there and following this. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of, it was kind of surreal. I, I remember going into the first game under Stephen Kenny, I would have been in, in first year. I would have been not even 13 years old at that stage. I remember saying to one of my friends, like, oh, you're going to the Dundalk game tonight. And as you said, Dundalk were really nothing special. In 2012, very, very nearly went to the wall, like literally a last minute takeover, like hours from going to the wall. And But then they were bought by a local businessman who have subsequently bought the club again nine years later. Um, and appointed Stephen Kenny and you know you ask you know how did Dundalk get to the stage they were and it's just Stephen Kenny just absolutely Stephen Kenny they were able to get him because he was at quite a low ebb he had done well with Derry City at the time and had got the Shamrock Rovers job which was very much the top job and probably still is really in the League of Ireland and it just went pretty disastrously for him he it was not the right climate really for Stephen Kenny to build the team that he wanted it was very much 
success now. And that didn't exactly happen. They finished fourth. He got sacked. And he was actually calling up Limerick, Limerick FC, who have, again, since gone to the wall and basically begging to, um, to hire him. And the owner wouldn't have it. He wanted Stuart Taylor, who was a Scottish coach, which I'm sure is nightmare stuff for Limerick fans because they don't, they don't even exist anymore. So basically, mm-hmm. what happened at Dundalk probably would have happened at Limerick. And Stephen Kenny came in and from the... The, the owners, he was essentially just given a blank canvas and given a fairly limited budget, but, you know, sign who you want. He was given full control because they respected how he viewed football. And he signed a load of free agents who are just out of contracts, maybe coming back from England, uh, very injury prone. So clubs didn't want to take a chance on them and just had an absolute perfect storm and ended up finished second in his first season and winning the league in a second. And it all went from there. Um, but I suppose it's a very long, going taking a very long way to say that the original story is when I asked my friend, it's like, oh, you're going to the Dundalk game tonight, and he's like, sure, why would I go to a Dundalk game? Like they're they're shy, like. And then at the last game of the next season, he was going around the school singing Dundalk chants all day. It's like, oh, right. Uh, but yeah, so absolutely amazing. Couldn't have imagined it in in a million years, uh, even the stage right now. Look, the last owners left us in a precarious enough situation, but it's, I'll just accept it because Dundalk were always near the bottom of the table when I started following them. So, finished sixth this season. No real shame in that. Connell, just for my benefit and any anyone else who is similarly ignorant of this, I know me and James have talked um, briefly about Stephen Kenny on the podcast before, but could you kind of give us a kind of... Uh, not a biography, but like what what does what does he do in football? What kind of manager is he? Unique is the word I would use to describe him. Um, even in the way he conducts himself with, with people. I remember there was a former Dundalk player, Mark Rossiter. I think he was on League Violence Central, sort of talking about Stephen Kenny. And he said he went up to some hotel, I think the City West Hotel or something, met him halfway between Dundalk and Dublin to uh, discuss a contract and discuss what he, he wanted him. This was in his very first season. And he, he said this, and many people have said this about Stephen Kenny when they're dealing with him. He might actually just sit there in silence for a full two minutes before he gives you an answer. He is yeah. a deep, deep thinker. He there, there is nothing he says that isn't thought through. And even some people might say, you know, specifically at the beginning of his Ireland reign. It's like, oh, he looks nervous in those press conference, press conferences. And it's not really true. He's just always like that. I remember yeah. he, at my school awards one night, he was handed out awards and he did a speech and he spoke in the same way. He's generally just, I would say, an introvert, a deep thinker of the game. And he absolutely sees the bigger picture. Like he could well end up sacrificing himself in building Ireland because He's playing these these children. He's playing Gavin Bazoon, who's nineteen, and he's a goalkeeper, and he has no problem putting in putting in him instead of Darren Randolph, who's a serious a seasoned professional, a serious footballer. Um, so yeah, he just sees the bigger picture and could end up paying the price. I think it's going well at the moment, but you know. So he's kind of it's it's like force of personality rather than. Uh, unique tactician, would you say, that makes him successful? He's an enigma because he wouldn't. He wouldn't say he's got a big personality. He's quite. 
in the in the nicest sense, he's quite strange. He's not so articulate in his interviews, and sometimes he looks on the verge of tears. But he's not. He's, and I've read I've read some interviews where people said they don't know what he does, but he just does something to them, like players. And I think Connell's point was. The championship teams he created, he didn't sign the best players. He signed kind of players who'd been cut loose by clubs, players who perhaps were semi-professional or... And he turned them into proper professional footballers who took on European giants and scored results. Would you agree, Connell? He's like, he's he's an enigma. Yeah, he's, he's like something out of Dead Poet Society. It's just that, you know, I'd love to be a fly in the wall in those pre-match team talks because that's what I imagine. I imagine him sitting there, on a, you know, standing there on a table or something like that, giving a, a team talk. It's it's almost uh, fantasy stuff, the, the way people speak about him. Uh, mm. Again, it's hard to know, like, don't get me wrong, t- tactically, he is a good manager. You, you can see that. And he clearly has his principles to play. He is completely taking on an sort of antiquated idea, sort of countrywide idea of how football is played. Because since the days of Jack Charlton, it's just been long ball. That's like, there's been no manager who's come in and tried to play football. Now, of course, you wrote a piece there, James, on on Brian Kerr, but ultimately he was treated very poorly and, and didn't last that long. So it's been long ball for 40 years. And he has to come in and completely change that himself. And as I said, could pay the price for that. Um, but again, I'm the biggest Stephen F- Kenny fan going. You know, I've talked to some Kenny out people and I'm almost cartoonish in how much I, I disagree. It's like they're trying to wind me up. I have to, they're trying to wind me up here. Um, but yeah, you can see now slowly but surely that this new style of play is being taken to by the players. And... Long may it last, long may it last. Mm-hmm. Um, just one more question on Stephen Kenny. Sorry, James, I feel like I'm hijacking this. but I, No, he, he, go for it. I, I want minute. to spread the gospel of Kenny as well. <laughs> and probably one for both of you, actually. But considering what a kind of unique personality he is and the success he's having, do you think he's somebody that will, obviously all managerial reigns eventually end, do you think once he's kind of finished with the national team, he's suited to maybe... a a big Premier League job or a championship job or something? I, I don't think so, because he got the job pretty early on in his managerial career with Dunfermline in Scotland, and that didn't go so well for him. And it kind of, I think it scarred him, you know, between losing his job there, getting sacked, and getting sacked by Shamrock Rovers. Those were the only two times he was sacked. And he really, he values security and loyalty. And especially because he you know he's raising a young family as well if he was to get removed from the Ireland position I could see him coming back to Dundalk maybe a commutable job in Dublin or something like that but I really doubt he will go to any other job to be completely honest because I've no doubt he was having good job offers when he was the Dundalk manager but he obviously didn't end up going just Ireland that was his his dream job so, to be honest, I, I wouldn't expect to see him anywhere else in the Premier League or anything like that, even if he is good enough. It's interesting, isn't it, to to, to hear you speak about a manager like that, because so many managers are kind of always on the road. And I think like you're uplifting your whole family like to move country and, you know, to move up, you know, move up and down the country. And for somebody to not do that is, is quite unusual. 
He did a he did a podcast with Eamon Dunphy here, who's a famous broadcaster in Ireland, and he does uproot himself, but to move around Ireland, which is incredibly precarious, because I don't know how he makes a living from it. But he and I've read since like and he has kind of been hanging on by his fingernails. If he was to be sacked from the Ireland job, he would probably only go back to League of Ireland. And yet, like, it's not beyond the bounds of possibility to say, if we stick with him and stick with the process, this guy could be a genius. He could turn us into some kind of world beaters playing an exceptional brand of football. Now, that does seem outlandish, but that is exactly what his aim is. That is his mission. And what I've often said about him is, he doesn't have to do this. He could just do what the Trapatonis and the O'Neills did. Come in, pick the safe players, pick up the check. And he's decided from day one, is like, no, this is my footballing philosophy. And this is the way my Ireland team is going to play. And he has said he wants a team that the country is going to be proud of. So, yeah, I'm definitely with Connell on the, the Kenny gospel. I do want to move on to your article. But before before we do that, we can't talk about Dundalk without this circus, as I described it. And I'll leave it to you, Connell. Like they were bought because of the success of Kenny, they were bought by an American outfit. And I'll let you tell the story. Yeah. So, sort of in light of qualifying for the Europa League group stages in 2016, it attracted the interest of a private equity firm i believe is their correct title peak six uh, who are based in chicago and so they bought dundalk at the very beginning of 2018 and instilled mike tracy as chairman and mike tracy is still a big dundalk fan to these these days you can see he's always tweeting about dundalk on twitter and he was a fantastic chairman but he had to leave uh, due to family reasons about a year and a half in so that was about midway through 2019. And at that stage, 2018, Dundalk won the league. 2019, Dundalk won the league. It was going fine. Um, obviously, Kenny left at the 20, end of 2018, but it was still going okay. Um, and then sort of 2020 began, and the new chairman was a man called Bill Hulsizer, who, to put it simply, is the father of the owner of Peak Six. He is currently, I think, 79 years old. And showed no real interest in football before he was seventy-five. What so American? To American, yeah. So the, and he was also based in Florida. Um, so a seventy-five-year-old man or so from Florida who had no real interest in football, but had shown a real interest in Dundalk and wanted to get involved, too involved to the point where he was running the club, and he just had no idea how to run a, a club, like not the faintest idea. He suggested putting Gary Rogers, who was Dundalk's goalkeeper at the time, to put him on corners because he watched one training session and Gary Rogers was just, you know, taking taking the mick at the end of a training session, was just whipping in crosses and said, oh, gee, he's great. Um, supposedly, these are all rumours, of course, supposedly handed in a team sheet to the manager of who he wanted to play with 12 players on it. Um, and... And stuff like that. So 2020 was an absolute a good nightmare. <laughs> yeah, if, if you can get away with it. Yeah, fair, yeah dead right, if you can get away with it. Um, then 2020, it really started to sort of fall apart, sort of right after football returned, after COVID, because Dundalk had a couple of poor results. But it was nothing really disastrous. 
Uh, they lost, um, obviously, in the Champions League, it was only one-legged ties because of COVID. So they lost 3-0 in Slovenia to Celia, which was a poor result. But look, we're League of Ireland teams. We're well, we're well used to that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, the next morning, our manager was sacked, Philly Perth. So that caused absolute outrage. Um, they were looking to even try to get Robbie Keane, actually, as interim. He, he turned it down and ended up getting this guy called Filippo Giovanioli, who... Best his, his experience before that was running a youth academy in New York. So he had no real experience in coaching any sort of professional football. But he came in and at the start was absolutely amazing. And Dundalk obviously won three ties in a row. Um, Beth Sheriff, who of course were in the Champions League this year, and got to the Europa League uh, and ended up winning the Cup. So we were kind of aware that it was papering over the cracks at the time. But we were happy enough to go with it, and he was appointed as manager. Then, start of 2021, he was, um, how, how would you say it, he was demoted because he didn't have a pro license. So they were saying that his assistant was actually the manager, when everybody knew that Filippo was, of course, the manager. So it led to this really tough uh, um, communication thing on the, on the sidelines. So so he had been managing without a pro licence and he shouldn't have been? Um, yes, which is you can get away with in the League of Ireland, kind of, but UEFA, after a certain while, really had to lay down the law. So, right. yeah. So, and then 2021, in fairness, you, you couldn't say Peak Six didn't invest. There was good investment there, um, but just in all the wrong areas, really overspending um for example, there was a player who played for us this season, and I don't like to criticise him too much because it's not him who demanded to be on four grand a week. But a League of Ireland footballer on four grand a week is absolutely unheard of. And he was never here because he played, his name's Wilfred Zahibo. He used to play with Valencia under Gary Neville. Very decent footballer by all accounts, but he was always injured or away on international duty. Then he'd have to quarantine after international duty. So Dundalk spent four grand a week on him and he very rarely played. And it's just that lack of foresight from a 79-year-old man from Florida who doesn't like football. It's like, oh, money, that, that will do. But absolutely tore the club unbelievably quickly from where they were. Um, that's a very quick synopsis. And so, so a few like where are we now? Have Dundalk like dropped down the league? The performance is bad. Like, um, well, in that twenty twenty season, the COVID ended up finishing third, and that mightn't sound like a disaster, but it was certainly treated like a disaster at the time. This season, they ended up finishing sixth, which, with easily the biggest League of Ireland budget of all time. So, but flirted flirted with relegation. Also flirted with Europe, it was very tight, but yeah, yeah, you know, the most expensively assembled team in League of Ireland history and nearly got relegated. Uh, but the club was sold about a month ago, four or five weeks ago, back to uh, Stat Sports, who I mentioned earlier, and local owners. So yeah, it's just going to be, it's very much a blank canvas. Uh, There's two players signed for next season. Um, but yeah, exactly. I don't care what happens next season. Dundalk are safe, they'll finish wherever they finish and then try and build from there. So the the highs of Kenny seem a distant dream at this stage, or do you think this new ownership could can bring Dundalk back to those heights? I mean, they they raised the standards for the entire league. No doubt. Yeah, no doubt. You can still see it today. 
the League of Ireland was not a particularly fish league before 2013. And then when Stephen Kenny brought in just something as simple as strength and conditioning coaches and players with the attitude of the likes of Richie Towell and, and Andy Boyle, who took it so seriously, um, you can see that throughout the league now. But yeah, the heights of Stephen Kenny seem an awful long while away, but I grew up with Dundalk fighting in relegation battles. So, you know, just once Dundalk are safe and doing well, and to be honest, I think Dundalk can do well. Uh, I think the new ownership is a perfect storm of investment and local interest. And look, you're comparing it to qualifying for the Europa League twice in five years. That's absolutely unheard of for a League of Ireland team. That's unprecedented success. So it doesn't it doesn't have to be that, you know, just going back to winning a cup every so often, a league every so often is fine for me. Yeah, I think he's he's raised it enough to a level that it won't slip back so low, you would hope. But yeah, what a what a roller coaster! Yeah, I want to see the film. Yeah, <laughs> there's maybe there's something in that. And so, Connell, let's delve into your article, which is entitled "Soviet Leaders," and is all about the Soviet top league, which at one point was considered one of the best in Europe. These are the ghosts of communism past. Light of Soviet Russia in the Red Square in Moscow. After the Soviet Union folded, so did its Premier League, the Soviet Top League. Many of those teams were known throughout Europe. Football, the red and white shirt of Spartak Moscow is synonymous with success. In Russia, Spartak is above all other clubs. Soviet teams have been considered pedestrian. In the 70s, the center of power moved south to Kiev and Tbilisi. Danger here! By December 1991, Russia, Ukraine and Belarus declared the end of the USSR. What happened to these teams after the Eastern Bloc fell apart? Yeah, it's just, uh, I'm not particularly a historical buff or anything like that, but anything to do with the Soviet Union generally does fascinate me, Um, especially since it was dissolved in uh, the the early 90s before I was born. So sometimes my dad will speak about different cities in in the Soviet Union, and I I might have to ask, you know, what country is that today? So the fact that this massive country used to exist before I was even born is fascinating to me. And when you throw football in with that, it's a it's a perfect storm for for me myself. Um, I'm not even sure where I ended up seeing the inspiration for the story, but I, I had seen somewhere that there was a ruling that Dynamo uh, Dynamo Kiev were essentially subject to different rules than every other team in the league at the time, and I just that really stuck with me. So when I approached James to write for the magazine, I thought that was the perfect subject to delve into. Yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, you set the scene at the beginning that the kind of these big names like Spartak Moscow, Dynamo Kiev that we're familiar with from the Champions League now, decades ago, were even bigger European names. They're, kind of, they're always in the Champions League, but never quite vying for winning it. And your article opens with, in fact, they have a rich history, but their league titles number in the low numbers. And the reason is because... They weren't individual countries. They were part of this Soviet bloc. And and so this idea for the Soviet League began 
in the 30s, but has its history even in the Russian Civil War, you say? Yeah, exactly. So it ran up until the the 80s with constant different rule changes and really seemed to be just making it up as they went along, which I just, I, I, I find wonderful. You know, in, in modern football, everything's kind of ran very professionally and ran very smoothly. And to be honest, to see that sort of throwback from the likes of the 80s where they were still making up rules and giving two points for a draw to one team and giving my, de- deducting points if you drew a certain amount of games, it's just absolutely um, batshit uh, to to call it, to call it, to call it that. Uh, maybe reminiscent of Peak Six, uh, how they ran a football club, uh, except I can examine the Soviet top league from a very safe distance. Connor, it's a great piece. Uh, there's a bit that jumped out at me that um, I could uh, do with a little more on, actually. I could have read a whole piece on <laughs> just this this little nugget of information in there. But tell us about the, the carpet. Mm. Yeah, so when looking into it, I found that essentially when the sort of very start of the league would that there'd be a match on once a year in the Red Square. And so I remember seeing in the, the research I was doing that the athletes themselves would actually sew this pitch onto the Red Square because it, it literally did take place in the square. That's where all the sports took place. So they couldn't have played it on a grass pitch. So they simply said we can't really play on stone but if we put a carpet over it maybe maybe that will do i i couldn't quite access any more information on that i don't know if they played in with studs i can't imagine that would have been ideal so they probably just played in their their work shoes presumably um but it's an absolutely unbelievable uh visual isn't it yeah and it's it's mad to think that because it's like what is it two or three acres of football pitch i, I would guess it's like it's a mm. massive surface area and mm. like the players made the rug that they laid on the stone to play on it's just an absolutely bizarre thing it's it's it could only have happened in the soviet union exactly yeah. Yeah. and that was part of the 1936 physical culture day so this you can imagine this kind of you know, military parade and Joseph Stalin looking on. But the man, you talk about the man who came up with the concept of the league, a man named Alexander Kozarev, mm-hmm. who met a gruesome end. He was sentenced to death after he insulted the head of the interior ministry, Leventi Beria. It's, it's all very Soviet and cloak and dagger, isn't it? It's like you fall foul of... A government official and this man who kind of created the soviet league disappears yeah exactly he ended up actually uh being um b- being hung essentially it's, it's part of the kind of fascinating tapestry of football behind the iron curtain which we've explored before i i just recently came back from berlin and we had ryan kilban on a previous podcast talking about football in in East Germany. That whole era and culture is fascinating, isn't it? And yet it produced fantastic players and teams. It's it's a fascinating subject to delve into, which your piece brings to life. Yeah, I think we probably, as people, tend to put things into boxes. So we kind of think of this, these phases, these eras in time, and, you know, some of the you know atrocities that happened across, you know, for example, the divide of... Germany and in the Soviet Union and, and things that happened there. But you forget that football has been around for a long time. And, you know, until you go to a certain point in history, there's going to be some football story there. 
And I absolutely love when those two worlds combine because you get the most interesting stories you can imagine. You're just not really going to get that level of story happening today in a lot yeah. of the worlds. Um, so, again, as I said, you tend to put things into boxes and, and decompartmentalize these things. But to actually see them merged is just makes for great reading. And I absolutely love love the magazine for stuff like that. And we still see the kind of throwbacks to those in the names of the clubs. So you say in the piece like CSKA Moscow was the army team. And in a previous edition, we spoke about the North Korean army team. And that's very much a kind of a communist thing, isn't it? And Locomotive Moscow, based on the, the railway works. The history of those names is a little bit more intriguing than kind of Beckham's Inter Miami, which really kind of grinds my gears. I absolutely lament that that sort of what would you call it really, sort of the MLS is trying to move towards a more sort of European model. And I don't I don't like it because American soccer is its own thing. And I like yeah. team names like the Seattle Sounders and stuff like that rather than, you know, Charlotte FC. I, yeah. I think America should really own its soccer culture because it's yeah, different yeah. to Europe. If you try to imitate it, it's just going to be pale in comparison. It's almost appropriation, isn't it? You just need to tap into their own own way of doing sports, which is unique, probably not better, but I do like American sports sometimes for that sort of, it's almost like a, a break as opposed to football because it, it every they do everything differently. And yeah. I'm disappointed to see the sort of Europeization of American soccer, to be honest. Yeah, it's also really lame. <laughs> 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 Colin, it's been a fascinating discussion where we've jumped to the the history of Dundalk, your own experience following them, uh, your your experience with the Premier League to behind the Iron Curtain football. It's been a really enjoyable chat. I'd urge people to buy issue seven to jump into the article, but where can they hear your podcast? Uh, so we're mainly available on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Um, but if you go over to our social media, so we're at Barstoolers on Twitter or at Barstoolers Podcast on Instagram, uh, you'll find our link tree there and you can find specifically all the platforms we're on, sort of other ones like Pocket Casts and stuff that are lesser sort of platforms. But uh, yeah, if you follow the link tree, you'll see all our links. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, Connell. Really enjoyed it. Thanks very much for having me on, James and Taylor. And thanks to you, Taylor, for joining us again. Yeah, thanks, gents. That was just great. And that's it for the latest episode of the Pogba Gold podcast. Drop us a rating or subscribe wherever you get your pods and toggle back for previous shows. Don't forget, you can now order the very latest issue seven of the magazine online in the run up to Christmas which only leaves us to say thanks for all your support so far and we wish you and yours greetings of the season. Join us next time on the Pogma Gold Podcast.